we read scripture from Isaiah 43. Book of Isaiah, chapter 43. And we read that in connection with our text, which is taken from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We read Isaiah 43. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes, and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this, and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses, that they may be justified. Or let them hear, and say, it is true. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed. When there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles, and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinct, they are quenched as tow. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? 
I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mightest be justified. Thy first father has sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary, and have given Jacob to the curse, and Israel to reproaches." You hear the word of our God. We turn to First Peter, or second, First Peter two, verses nine and ten, which is our text for the sermon this evening. First Peter two, verses nine and ten. Again, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're faced with the question, who are you and why are you here on earth? And we can answer that. To be a human is a wonderful thing. We can hear, we can see, we can feel, we can experience profound emotions. There's so much joy, there's so much excitement that we're able to experience. There's love, there's joy, there's hope. And we enjoy so many things of the creation. But what purpose does all of that serve? We realize that all the things of this world are vanity apart from God. That's the testimony of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. One who had much and yet was able to declare all of that is vanity apart from Jehovah as my Father. Who am I? Why am I here? God reveals the answers to those questions. And He tells us where we came from. He tells us why we are here. He informs us of our identity. And that's a marvelous and a wonderful thing. Dogs, turtles, fish, birds, cows, pigs, they don't ask these kind of questions. They're not concerned about their identity and their purpose in life. They don't know their specific calling. Now, we know that God has given them an important place and that God gives them a specific calling, but it's God's children who ask these questions. And God's children need to know the answers to these questions. Not often do we find as clear of an answer as we do here in 1 Peter 2. And also in that which is reflected in Isaiah 43. 
God's children are identified with a peculiar designation and a peculiar calling. The people of God need to know what a glorious, what an excellent people they are. And that's our text. It needs to be told to their face. You are glorious. You are excellent. There are those who refuse to do that. All they talk about is how horrible, how sinful God's children are. That's not the approach of our text. That's not the approach of Scripture. The child of God needs to hear and know, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a peculiar people. You need to know the value, the excellency that Jehovah God has set upon you. Now the child of God knows his sin, knows his unworthiness, knows that that's not who I am of myself. That designation is nothing that I deserve. Confesses. This is a wonder of God's grace. There's no boasting here in myself or what I've done. All the boasting is in the God of my salvation. Beloved, God's people need to be reminded again and again of their virtues and glory. The world mocks those virtues. The world takes those virtues and persecutes the people of God for them. We suffer for Christ's sake. And we learn from that suffering to live by faith alone and not to be discouraged as we walk with God in the life to which He has called us. And so we note that a peculiar people called to show forth the praise of God. Noting, first of all, the people. Secondly, the calling that God gives us. And finally, the praise. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. The apostle, as you recall here, is in establishing a contrast between those who are stumbling over Christ as that stone of offense and God's children. There are those who stumble. They're not the people of God. They don't want Christ. They don't want the glory and the wonder of the salvation that's found in him. And they reject him. Now, outwardly, they may look to Christ. Outwardly, they may honor him. But it's just a show. It's an empty, vain show. There's no sincere devotion to Christ. There's no looking to Christ as essential to one's life. As they ponder who they are and what their calling and purpose on earth is, the answers they come up with all center around themselves. They're here for themselves. They're here to pursue their own glory. They're here for their own pleasure. They're on earth in order to maintain their own ways, their own will. All men must die, so will they. And so they try to put out of their mind the consequences of life and the consequences of an experience after death. And they walk in rebellion against God all their day long. They're here to live it up. They're here to have a good time while they have opportunity. Jesus the rock breaks them in pieces. And all of that was ordained by God. All of this serves as a powerful warning to God's children who are weak, who often stumble. Look to Christ. Lean on Him. Live out of Him. Acknowledge He alone 
is your rock and the foundation of your lives. But the people of God were not appointed to stumble. That's the point here of the apostle. They were not appointed to be disobedient to the word of God. They are chosen. They are called by God. And so the text here underscores three wonders that constitute the high place that God has given them. They are elected. They've been redeemed. They've been called by God. And again, the distinction is known to them in time by God's grace. God in time gives them to know that they are regenerated. They are new creatures in Christ. There's a natural birth into which all that live in this life are born. And then there's a spiritual birth. Nothing of the natural verse distinguishes us from others. But it's that spiritual birth that is the wonder. God taking His children in a distinction from all the others, giving them a new life, a life that's from above. So that they live now by the Word of God, which abides forever. And so God's children here are identified with a beautiful designation. Chosen, royal, Holy, peculiar. And they're said to occupy a generation, a priesthood, a nation, and a people. This is a remarkable designation that God gives to His children. As stated, the people of God need to know what an excellent and glorious people they are. They must be told often, as God does in His Word, They must be told repeatedly the glorious and significant place that God has given to them. There are those who say, don't do that, because if you do that, they're going to become proud. God's children face that danger according to their old man. And spiritual pride, we know, is the worst of sins. But God's children know that their worthiness is not of anything of themselves. It's all of grace. And they live out of that principle of regeneration, born again from above by the new life that's worked in them by the Spirit. And that Spirit works in them to confess their sin. They know their misery. They know their unworthiness. We know that our salvation is all of grace. It's not at all according to anything I've done. We've learned not to boast in ourselves, but all our boasting is in God and in the marvelous grace and glory that is found in Him. We're not yet perfect. We look forward. We long for that perfection. And we acknowledge there's but a small beginning of that no obedience that now lives within me. The result, beloved, is that that new life and those virtues don't always manifest itself like they should. And God's people become discouraged then by that. But through the Word of God, the people of God are made to know the excellency into which they have been brought. By Christ. And they're given to know the wonder of the place that God has given to them. You are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And you must cause your light to shine forth so that even the wicked see your good works and glorify God, your Father, in heaven. That's the point here that's being driven home by the Apostle. In contrast to the wicked who are stumbling over Christ, this is who you are. This is the glorious excellency that God has designated for you. 
Now, note something first in general. Note the organic unity here of the people of God. They're not merely priests. They're a royal priesthood. They're not merely chosen individuals. They're a chosen generation. They're not merely peculiar people, but they're a people and they're a nation. So that the idea here is the unity of the brethren that God has established in Christ. They have the same origin together in Jesus Christ their Lord. And we think of passages that emphasize the fact that we are one in faith, one in hope, one in love, united in the wonder of that salvation that God has given. Though each occupy his or her individual specific place in that body, together we are a beautiful organism, a beautiful organic whole. Now that's not so visible always, and especially in our day with so many different denominations and so many different churches. But we confess the members of the body, the elect, are found throughout the world. They're found in other churches. When all will be gathered and brought in, it will be evident that that body of Christ arriving in glory is marvelous. A complete organism ordained by God as the body of Christ. Beloved, it's important that we live in such a way that we reflect and embrace the wonder of that Catholicity of the church. There's no room for pride, especially not ecclesiastical pride. We stand for what's right, we defend the truth, but we don't act as though we're the only ones who are part of this glorious church. There's no room for racism. There's no room for being respecters of persons. There are many who perhaps don't look like us, don't act like us, don't maybe have the same ambitions as we do. But they share with us the wonder of this love and this spiritual designation. The unity of the body is on the foreground here. We look at the individual designations. What is meant by royal priesthood? The emphasis is that the people of God are not only priests, but they're kings. The priesthood is a royal priesthood. It's a kingly priesthood. Now that, as you recall, is unique from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, kings could never be priests. Priests could never be kings. God now establishes us as those who are after Melchizedek, not Levi. In the Old Testament, the priests came from Levi. The kings came from Judah. Everything was performed in types and in shadows. They were not one and the same. The central idea of priesthood is that of offering, consecrating oneself to God. But God's people no longer belong to a priesthood that brings offerings for sin. That's been completed. Jesus performed that wonder. What remains is the priesthood according to Melchizedek. And so God calls his children to offer up sacrifices, to offer themselves holy with all the gifts and abilities that God has given them in the service of Christ and for his glory. Now, the idea of a royal priesthood seems to be a contradiction in terms. If we think about priests, we think about someone who's lowly, someone who's serving. We think of kings, we think of someone who's ruling. So how are we to mesh those together? 
There's a beautiful harmony, beloved, between the two of them. The people of God are not royal and priestly in the same relationship. They're priestly as regards God, called to serve God as priests, to serve Him in love, and to give of Him all that they are, body, soul, spirit. With relation to God, they're servant people. At the same time, they're bound to a royal rule on behalf of God and under Christ over all things. So that they rule over the whole of the earthly creation. And in the day of Christ, will share in the royal rule of Christ over the new creation, the heavens and the earth. Serving God in a capacity in which God has exalted them and taken them to be with Him as those who are kings over the whole of the creation. Now sinful men and women want to stress the idea of royalty and they try to minimize the idea of priesthood. Man wants to be in the service of man, not God. Instead of bowing before God and serving God, he wants to rule. And he wants to rule over God. To serve is not a part of man's natural desire. But through the cross, through the resurrection, through his own exaltation, Jesus Christ restores the wonder of the priesthood and royal rule in the hearts and lives of his children. And by the grace of God, that proper relationship is restored. We serve God. We delight in Him. We count it a privilege to live unto Him. We confess, I'm not my own. I belong to Him. And therefore, the whole of my life is to be lived sacrificially in His service. Saying no to self. Saying yes to God and the things of His kingdom. Living an antithetical walk before God. And doing so as a royal priesthood. Reigning under God and serving God. And devoted to Him alone. What about an holy nation? This identifies the people of God as a separate people in the midst of the world. In a spiritual sense of the word now, they live as those who are separated unto God. Those who are spiritually distinct. They live in the world, but as Peter previously has said, they're pilgrims, they're strangers. They're those who are in the world but are not of the world. And principally, the idea here is that God's people are cut off from the organism of sin and they're implanted now into the body of Christ as a holy people, separated unto God and consecrated to Him. This was evident in the Old Testament, in Israel. God often expressed, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, that distinct place. The book of Isaiah takes it up as well as we read. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And God emphasized in that way, it's not because of anything of you, it's not because of anything you've done, it's because of the love of God and the wonder of God's grace by which he's exalted you. Now there's no blessing, and there was no blessing in the Old Testament, by simply being a part of Israel, by simply being a Jew. Just because one was a part of the nation, just because one was a Jew, had no special designation. He's not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Romans 2, 
28 and 29. God's people are such a people. They are a unique people. They are always spoken of in the Bible as belonging. And they belong to their spiritual father. And although election is a very personal thing, God personally takes hold of us and He draws us to Himself. We realize that we're part of a generation connected with Christ as our head. And so with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, God's people turn away from sin. They always repent from that sin and they turn to God. They walk humbly before Jehovah, their God. And they live as those who are, by the grace of God, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, fighting the good fight of faith, humbly living before Jehovah, their God. They show themselves distinct. And that comes out also in the next designation, a peculiar people. The word peculiar and the word chosen make emphatic this truth. They've been acquired. They've been obtained. And that emphasizes the gracious nature of this wonder. The idea is that you are a people whom God has taken hold of. God has purchased you. God has bought you. God has obtained you. Now we know God has chosen us from all eternity. In time, He obtains by redeeming us and making his, us His possession. And that's the emphasis here in verse 10 which in time past were not a people. Now, he's not talking there according to God's sovereign eternal counsel. According to God's counsel, we always were his people. But he's talking about the experience in time. But now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And the picture is that of a people who are living and walking contrary to God and contrary to his will. They're living for themselves. They're living for the things of this world. And Jehovah God takes hold of them. And He purchases them. He redeems them. He pays the price necessary to take them and to make them His own. That's the emphasis of Isaiah 43. We're not our own. We belong to God who redeemed us, who paid the price necessary to purchase us unto Himself. And so God's point in that passage is, here is your comfort. You are mine. And if you are mine... You need not fear. I'm going to take care of you. When you pass through the waters, which you will, I will be with you. You're going to pass through fires. Life is not going to be easy. There's going to be troubles. But I am with you. I will preserve and keep you. Because I am the one who have bought you. And I will preserve and keep you to all eternity. He paid the price through His precious Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, we could do nothing to deliver ourselves from the power of sin, the bondage of the devil. Jehovah God bought us. He took us into his possession. And he set us free from the bondage of sin. And God then makes us to exist as a people that serve his will, that serve his purpose, that show forth his praise. We belong to God as a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We belong to God as then a peculiar people, a people who's been bought, who's been chosen and set aside by Jehovah God 
to serve Him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Beloved, this is your value. This is who you are. You are one whom Jehovah God has purchased and bought with the blood of His own Son. And so we ask ourselves, who am I? What is my purpose here on earth? You are God's special child who's been bought out of darkness into light. That's what God says concerning you, concerning me. God doesn't say, this is what you need to be. God says, this is who you are. This is what you are. All of my children, you are all of this. You say, but this is dangerous. This could lead to pride. Again, beloved, it will not because we know what we are of ourselves. We know where we came from. We know what we deserve. And our text is clear. How did we become such an excellent people? It's nothing of ourselves. Which in time past were not a people, but are now. Which had not obtained mercy, but now. What's the difference? It's God. It's all of His grace. The ground and the excellency of that place and position is God. A wonder of His grace. The Apostle speaks of the church of Jesus Christ. And he says concerning us, this designation, now it's true in the Old Testament, the entire nation of the Jews reaped outward rewards that God provided. They all ate of the manna. They all ate of the quail. They all passed through the Red Sea. And yet the promise was not head for head. All were not chosen. All were not a peculiar people. God's remnant according to election was on the foreground already in the Old Testament. To them, the promises were directed. And similarly, in the church, Not all members of the church head for head are the children of God by virtue of their membership in the church. God purifies the church by His Word and Spirit, hardening those who are not His own, casting them out, drawing to Himself those who are, and preserving and keeping them. And notice again the remarkable nature of this verse. God does not say, be a royal priesthood. He doesn't say, you go out now and be a chosen people. He says, you are. This is who you are. By a wonder of God's grace and mercy, you are. And he establishes then the sharp contrast here. The reprobate, they're stumbling over Christ. They're disobedient. They go through the motions maybe, outwardly. But they don't love Christ. They don't live as those who confess their hold dependence upon Him. The children of God are devoted to Christ from the heart, walking in holiness, living their lives sacrificially before His face. Beloved, is that me? Is that you? Another question we ask, how did I receive this glorious position? How is this high calling mine? And that brings us to our second point. Who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Our God is a calling God. In the beginning, in Genesis, we have a reference to God calling all things as though they were. The power of God's Word 
creative word, saying, let there be light, let there be, let there be, and God bringing all of those things into existence by the power of His word. He called, and they were established. God calls man with an equally powerful creative word so that God calls those whom He from eternity has designated as His own And He brings them into the glory and the wonder of their task and place in the midst of this world. Now God's call, repent. God's call, turn from your sins, is a call that goes to all men, including the wicked. Powerfully demonstrated in the example of Cyrus in Isaiah 45, verses 1-4. through God commanded Cyrus that he would release the people to go back from Babylon to the land of Israel. They would be released from captivity. God called that wicked man and God worked that response of obedience in him. The motive, we don't know. But there's the calling that God directs to all men and there's the calling directed to man as a moral being, calling him to love God, to thank God, and to give thanks. In all things. God calls through His Word externally, but then He also works by His Spirit internally in the hearts of His children. Externally, the call goes to all who hear the preaching of the Gospel. It's a call to repentance, a call to faith in Jesus Christ. And what does the Bible say? Many are called, but few are chosen. The call is broader than those who respond in a positive, favorable way. The calling goes forth, and what happens? Some stumble again. Christ is a rock of offense. Others respond. Why is it that some respond? Internally, the call of God comes to the hearts of His children. And they hear that call, and they heed it by the work of God's grace within them. God irresistibly draws them to Himself by His Spirit, transforming them From hard hearts to soft hearts. Bringing the elect sinner out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And regeneration takes place apart from their consciousness. They have a new heart. That calling takes place in our consciousness. And it causes us so that we receive ears to hear, eyes to see. An illuminated mind so that now we're able to understand. We're able to perceive the things of the Spirit of God. And by this calling then, we have a right understanding of God, of His kingdom, of the place that He's given us. By this calling, we see our sin. We realize who we are. We look to Christ in all of His fullness as our only hope. We hunger, we thirst after righteousness. And we receive grace to desire and to look for that city that hath foundations. Jehovah God calls us out of darkness into light, out of death into life, out of sin and misery into righteousness and sanctification, out of the lie into the truth, out of alienation from God to communion and fellowship with the living God. Now, beloved, this is God's work. Jehovah God who chose us, who pitied us, who possessed us, calls us and brings us into the knowledge of this wonder. P. 
Peter makes this truth of God's calling very plain and very clear throughout his epistle. In verse 21 of this chapter, he refers to the purpose of that calling. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. The same idea is repeated in chapter 3, verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. In 1 Peter 5, verse 10, he lays emphasis on the fact that it is the God of all grace who has called us. And secondly, upon the nature of that calling as an eternal calling. And the same is true of 2 Peter 1, verse 10. Whereunto the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. God calls His children through the preaching of the Word. And they respond. God's children flee from their sin. They repent. They cling to the cross. The children of darkness are offended. They're hardened by the same word. And they reveal the sovereign purpose of God according to reprobation. We who are by virtue of election God's children know the wonder of redemption and the marvelous nature of His grace. Our value then, our significance, does not have to do with who and what we can accomplish and what we are of ourselves. There's no boasting. It's by God's grace alone. What God does with us and the relationship that He establishes and the future that He ordains are important here. You can't talk about who you are apart from God and His purpose. And the biblical understanding of your and my identity and purpose is God-centered. God willed a people for His own name's sake. He chose that people. Absolutely nothing determined or limited the nature of His choice. He absolutely was sovereign and free. He determined that His own Son would be the head of that people. And He gave them to Christ. And Christ came in the flesh to take away the sin of his people. He bore those sins on the accursed tree and by his death blotted them out in boundless grace so that those who were not a people were now a people. And those who had not been shown mercy now knew the wonder of the mercy of God. He gives a spirit so that that spirit renews us and leads us and makes us a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people a people of his own possession, whom he is leading and guiding to everlasting glory. This is the testimony of Scripture. This is the wonder of God's grace toward you and me, sinners. Romans 8, 28-30, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. 
Beloved, the knowledge of God's eternal election and His sovereign call eliminate any possibility of boasting. We did not love God first. He loved me. I did not choose God first. He chose me. I did not make myself a separate people. He formed me in Christ. All for His name's sake. This is the confession of the child of God. I am what I am by God's grace and according to the marvelous character of His calling. And why? Why did God do this? That we might show forth His praise. That's the emphasis here of the text. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God's praises are His excellent virtues. All of that which makes Him God. The God of our salvation has chosen us and set His love upon us so that those perfections and those glories might be seen in and through us. God is full of perfections. To praise God is to speak and to talk about God. To talk about God's goodness, about His mercy. To talk about God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's love, God's mercy. God communicates those perfections to us in Christ so that we can and will reflect them in a creaturely way. Now we realize there are some attributes that are not communicated to us that have to do with God's sovereign eternal being, that He is invisible, that He is eternal, that He is all-knowing. There are other attributes that are communicated. His holiness, His wisdom, His righteousness, His love, grace, mercy, long-suffering. Our identity is to show forth God's praise. Why am I here? Why am I found in the midst of this life? To show forth the praise of the God who has given you this excellency. To make known that praise day in and day out. To praise Him in all your relationships. To praise Him in all the opportunities that God gives you. The God of creation who has recreated you in Jesus Christ is the one to whom you owe your all. And that mercy, that grace, that knowledge, that wisdom must be made known. Those who stumble over Christ aren't making it known. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people that you would show forth that praise. How do we show forth that praise? First as prophets, speaking. God works a wonder that we cannot contain. It's a wonder that springs up within us. And so God's people must speak. And we must show forth the praise of God in our life and walk. That which characterizes our language is not cursing and swearing. It's not slander and backbiting. It's praise. It's making known God and His glory and the wonder of His works. And we're to be a witness to those around us and to the whole world 
concerning the greatness of the wonder of His goodness. Of what do we speak? The praises of God. We who were in darkness have seen light. We've been given to know the wonder of that light. I who am a sinner who deserve everlasting death have been given to know that I'm redeemed. That God has forgotten my sin. He's cast it off as we read in Isaiah. And that He now has set His love upon me and will preserve and keep me to all eternity. The light, beloved, is so marvelous that we enjoy fellowship and communion with God. That's our life, to know God, to live with Him, to walk with Him in the face of Jesus Christ. We speak. We cannot be contained. But secondly, as priests, we show these praises. We sacrifice of our own desires, our own will. We live unto Him in His service. With our bodies, with our soul, with the whole of our being, showing forth His praise in humble consecration to Him. Delighting in His will and desiring to serve Him with all that we are. And finally, as kings, ruling on behalf of God, fighting sin, doing battle against temptation. All for His glory and for His honor. Knowing that He is the one through whom we can do all things. Beloved, the glorious virtues of God are reflected in His children by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Those virtues of holiness, of righteousness, of knowledge are in you and are seen in you and me. And God will perfect the work that He's begun. This is His work. His work will not fail. His work is victorious. Beloved, when the weary night is over, we will show forth these virtues in all of their perfection in heaven forever. There we will see the glory of God like we can't see it now. We'll drink it, we'll enjoy it to all eternity. This is the high place that God has given to you and to me. May we show forth His praise. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what great wonders Thou hast performed on our behalf. What a great designation is given us as we seek to live in the midst of this world. We thank Thee for the assurance that that work will not fail. Thou art the one at work in us by Thy Spirit. Forgive us. Strengthen us. And cause that we might abound in Thy praise as we live as those who confess and believe who and what we are by Thy grace. Amen.